0: Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the block. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor right, So We're here with Noah. You are a, a coach, a speaker. Now, we've had a lot of different coaches on here. <laughs> all right, so I'm going to put you on here, right, here. What separates you from... Other coaches
1: so first hi um, thank you for having me uh, so what separates me from other coaches first my accent <laughs> we talk about this we talked about it before um, I love the prayer recording conversations so um, I'm originally from Israel and I have to say um, we moved from Israel to the US 15 years ago. And I had to adapt to a different culture. Israelis are very direct, uh, very direct. Even if you don't ask them, they tell you what you, what they think. And um, I think what was cool, it, it took me, I was very lost in the move to the U.S. Uh, in so many different ways from culturally to career to um, parenting, which is different. Um, but when I... Arrived to the coaching training and I start coaching people. It was like hitting home, because coaching is about having very direct and open hearted conversation. So it's not about being uh, rude, um, but it really allowed it, it allowed me to bring my whole self into the into the conversation. And I feel that maybe that's the thing that allows me to be different than other coaches in conversations with my clients. To The people who come to me are the people who say, I want to work with someone that will give me the 100% truth, and I am willing to be open with you. And every time a client is 100%, you know, bring their whole safe, and they say, I screwed up, and I really want to talk about it, and I, wo- I know I wasn't my best self, and they explain the why behind that. I cheer cheer for them because I tell them, you know, when you bring your honest self into the conversation, that's when you can grow. Um, so that's that's where I feel like I might be a bit different. And yeah,
0: well, so so talking about the directness of it. So I live when I was a young kid for a year in New York, right? Mm. And I've grown up a lot of my time in. San Diego in California, but traveled a lot. But the one thing I noticed from the East Coast to the West Coast, at least from the short time frame, is they were very direct on the East Coast yeah. and not so direct here <laughs> on the West Coast. And it was funny because I, I remember at, at a young age, people go, I don't like you. And you're like, well, I don't even know you. But they're being direct and tell you. And then here, people that you know and talk to on a daily basis, maybe they don't tell you, they try to uh, protect your feelings. Mm-hmm. And you find out later on, and I think that I'd rather have the directness that someone like you offers mm-hmm. compared to, all right, I don't, I want to protect them. I don't want to tell them this because it might hurt their feelings, but we'll slowly get there.
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a dance. It's a dance between, um, as I said, not being rude, um, but making the relationship capacity so much less exhausting because think about it, we work so hard to understand what the other person feel, think, and why they do what they do. And a lot of my friends um, told me, American friends or other uh, culture's friends, that it, my, you know, the relationship with me mostly um, is easy for them. At least they choose to be my friend because they like that it's easy. They know it's going to be a no, it's a real no. If it's a yes, it's a real yes. And they don't need to try and understand what's behind my intentions. Um, so I'm trying to walk my talk um, everywhere. And there was a lot of messiness to get there. Um, you know, the accent, the being different, you know, everywhere I go, it's where are you from? And um, some people who think that I might not understand them because it's my second language. So there were a lot of different demons in that area that I had to uh, overcome with the move to the US, which started with two, three years relocation adventure, and now fifteen years after, we are here citizens. Um, so there were a lot of yeah things I had to go through to get to the other side and fight peace with being different and with having an accent.
0: Well, so let's dive deeper in there, okay? Let's let's first start back in Israel, okay? So how was how was life there? where did you grow up? Talk about basically your life experience and kind of transitioning to the U.S.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, I grew up in a family and some of the people might um, resonate with that. So my father was an officer in the Israeli army, which means that we were, you know, if he says you you need to be at a car at 8 a.m., you better be there at 758 or um, so. It was a very rigid way of living as a child, but with that, there was always a conversation in the house of um, always question the authority, always question the expert, always go and check if what you say, uh, you understand what you're saying. If not, go to the dictionary. So that's the way I grew up, and... A few years ago, when my father was 70, after I went through my coach training, he called me and he said, I have to ask you a question for my 70th um, birthday. He's going to be 80 soon. And um, I said, yes. And he, he, he kind of like got his persona, very strict, very direct again. Uh, and he said, how, how was I as a father? And did, did you enjoy being my daughter? And, and that was right. It, it, not an easy question to answer, but I had to dig in, in and say, I'm going to say the truth. We're, we're talking about walking my talk, right? And I said, that I have to tell you, I did not enjoy being your child. There were too many rules in the house, uh, a lot of rigidness, not a lot of freedom. But when I left the house and I was in Israel, you have to be in the army. So when I was a soldier in the army and then when I was very young age with VPs and CEOs and C-suite C- C- executives as a change management consultant, um, after you, no one scared me anymore. So um, I, I think that's the that's the thing that really describes my life in Israel I was that get it done. I was in human resources and training and change management. And through the doing, I was able to bring results and go through the corporate ladder. So when we lived in Israel, I had executive experience and MBA, and things really worked my way. It's not like everything was easy, but um, I pretty much knew where I wanted to go and I was able to figure it out.
0: How long did it take you to appreciate basically how your, your father raised you?
1: Never. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just kidding. You know, with, I, I think, you know, when you go back to every relationship with parents, and it's kind of funny, you see people who are 70 and they see their parents and they still trigger them and they look like little kids. So I think it's no matter when um, there are some things that I appreciate about being his daughter and the things he brought into my life the way I think. Uh, that allows me to think many times out outside the box. Uh, but many things that I would prefer to have a different childhood, for sure. But I think it made me become a very resourceful person. So to tell you 100% that I can be gr- grateful for everything he, uh, for the way he raised us. No, that would be, a, um, again, not being honest. But there are some qualities that he brought to my life, for sure.
0: Yeah. So what brought you from Israel to the United States? What was that like? Why did you come?
1: Yeah. So 15 years ago, we moved for a job opportunity for my husband. And it's very common in Israel that people are being sent to two, three, four years of relocation. Um, So I I wasn't sure I wanted to move because I just had a new job opportunity. But we decided to go with that with two little kids. And I thought it would be pretty easy, right? I have MBA, executive experience, we moved to New York City, but it wasn't. And as I shared earlier, my biggest obstacle was English because um, speaking was the way I was able to influence. There was what I call that magical silence that people listened to me and then followed the ideas that I had most of the times. And then suddenly there is this new silence that people trying to understand what I was saying. And that was new to me. It was a huge hurdle and a huge barrier because my forte suddenly disappeared for me. Um, and that's where, remember, if I said, I didn't think about it before, but if it, I felt fearless in, in Israel, suddenly the, the, the fear got over me. And I was stuck for a long time. So even if I took actions, because I was a, always a doer, so I would take actions. But what I call and what I also wrote my book about is there is the other energy, the being energy. And I didn't know to pay te- how to pay attention and even didn't realize that the, this being energy exists. And that energy is... Um, it, it, It contains our emotions, the feelings, and our mindset, the thoughts. Now, you know that when the being energy, I call it the force. So when the being energy um, is positive, we have a momentum. Like we go and we make sales and we we get new clients and we get a job and everything is awesome. But if the being energy is down you feel stuck, there is no real action. So what would happen, I would go to interviews or try to do something, but internally there was a voice telling me, um, no one will take you with this lousy English. So why are you even trying? And when you go with that internally and the fear is there too, you don't see results. And it took me a long time to understand that and, and go through that barrier.
0: All right, so what uh, allowed you, what kind of pushed you to get past that fear of um, your language being a barrier?
1: Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's not like a recipe. It's not like you know how it's going to look like and you say this is the solution. You, I, I believe you go through a lot of messiness to get there. And in that place of feeling really lost, you know, I worked, but nothing really felt fulfilling. So it was like I'm, I was in a soul search in a way. And in that very low moment, um, I started writing a blog. I was, for years, wanted to write. And um, that was, I just saw the the movie, Julie and Julia. I don't know if, a very cool movie about um, blogging. And it inspired me. And blogging 15, I think it was like 12 years ago, was somewhat like podcasting today, and I just, in one night, so if, if some people are afraid, for example, to start, you know, to launch a website or launch their podcast or, or their blog, for me, it was like, bam, like in 10 minutes, I had my blog post, I had the blog up, and I was like shooting that to the world. And that's how it all started. And I truly believe today, what I didn't know then, it was a creative outlet for me, to process a lot of things that I didn't know how to connect. And also people started connecting with me and you probably know that we just connected right through this whole process of podcasting. So people start connecting with me and then they started um, asking me for relocation advice because my, um, my blog was about being an Israeli mommy in the U S in New York. And what do I see from my perspective? And that's how it all started. You know, people reach out for consultation and then women reached out to me and asked me to coach them. And then when I started coaching, people said that I'm, I'm funny and inspiring. So they would like to hear me speaking. So I found that confidence. And, and it's really, they said, we, we want to see you speaking. And I said, come on with my English. Are you kidding me? And I said, no, we connect to you so much. Where, where do you talk? And I said, nowhere. So I found confidence and went to Toastmasters and worked on my speaking skills in English because there was never the confidence of standing in front of an audience. It was just, how can I do it in English? And then when I started speaking, people said, where is your book? And then I, I started writing a book. So uh, it's actually really interesting to see how that night um, and and that creativity and, you know, there are a lot of things that happen. So I, I I hope it makes sense, um, that it wasn't planned. It was a mistake (laughs) or I don't know, a a need, I wouldn't say a mistake, but maybe a, a internal need to find a way to figure out myself.
0: How often were you blogging when it first started to get traction?
1: Um, I wasn't, you know, today they talk about consistency. I think today I'm more consistent than then. It was more of a, I see something, I write about it, but it was at least twice a week that I would write about different experiences, um, a lot of thoughts. Uh, and today it kind of like transitions from from what I did then to what I call uh, on the run. So when I run, running is a new thing for me. And I can see how all my thoughts, people can't see, but in the back of my, my um, back behind me, there are sticky notes. Um, so a lot of thoughts in my head um, kind of like float around. And when I run, they start to get organized. So I do like two, three minutes videos after I run. I don't look nice. They're sweaty, uh, but there is a message that comes up from that running. So I find that creativity for me is a strong um, um, impact on how I show up and how I start connecting the dots on my ideas.
0: So you do a video after, after you go running?
1: Yeah, yeah, I do.
0: <laughs> is it like a vlog then?
1: Yeah, it's kind of like vlogs that mostly will be posted on social media um, after I won, So every time after I run, there is a video that I shoot. And that, by the way, was my way, you know, people trying to find recipes. And that's my problem with the doing. You know, there are all these programs that tell you here are the f- 10 steps to do this. And here are the five steps. So I, uh, the, I think one of the things I try to do with my clients, no matter if it's leadership or, or business, it's let's find your way. So for example, my way to be committed and show up is to just say, every time I run, there's going to be a video. And then I say it publicly. I say to my audience, every time I run, there's going to be a video. And that's how I create that accountability with myself and with my audience. So they know it's always when I run. And when I started that, I didn't even start that to. Um, as a marketing tool, I just did that because I wanted to feel comfortable when I'm speaking in front of a camera, in front of a video camera, because I knew that speaking is my next thing. So it was really to practice um, feeling comfortable when I'm in front of a camera. Um, And people would come to me in local networking events and say, I really like your, your vlogs. You have to keep doing them. So it's very interesting how every time people are coming to me and kind of like tap on my shoulder and say, we see something in you or um, keep doing that. So I, I find it really cool.
0: It reaffirms that you're on the right path.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> sometimes even coaches, I have to say, sometimes coaches need, need information too,
0: probably. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I think we, we, I mean, there, it doesn't matter who you are. There's there's people that need that affirmation, that reassurance that they're doing what you, they need to be doing. Yeah. And it's like having that coach, having that support, having the people around you. And I yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah. What do you think have been kind of some of the, the biggest hurdles um, of adapting to kind of where you are? And I know transitioning from Israel, learning English, and those were kind of like the big ones. Is there anything else that you kind of were hyper-focused on that has been kind of tough for you?
1: I believe for me, the biggest mental block, um, and that's a life work is the, is the being energy. What I mentioned earlier, my, my, you know, mental blocks and feelings. And, uh, that's for me something that I pay a lot of attention. Uh, what triggers me, what make br- brings the fear. So I mentioned that the fear showed up suddenly. Um, and, I could see that I had kind of like a pattern of telling myself in some areas, as I mentioned with the blog, it was very easy for me to just go and do that. But in some areas, I could hear a voice telling me, when you're able to overcome the fear, then go and do that. So I, I didn't move anywhere, right? Because the fear just was there. And it took me a while to realize that the fear will never go away. Um, So I had to learn how to take very, very little steps with my fear. So I I kind of like take that fearless, that people talk, you have to stop being afraid, be fearless. Mm, I don't believe we can stop being afraid, but I believe we can take that word and, and break it to two, fearless. And with that, start walking on the path and very slowly, but at least then you start seeing those affirmations. So um, that that's something that was very big for me to to understand about myself. Um, another one was excuses, and that actually showed up from running. Um, again, mental blocks. I would run, and I would say I would stop in the. Where the traffic light is, and I would see my body starting to slow down the moment I said that, and I stopped, of course, before the traffic light, and that was um, invitation for me to understand that what I do when I run is the same of what I do when I work, and I learned to stop putting those limitations on myself and saying when I get to the traffic light, when I when and and see myself slowing down down before that and saying, no, you just run until your energy stops. And suddenly, for not being able to run 5K, a day after, I was able to run 5K, just because I didn't put any limitations on myself. So that was a huge learning for me, and I think we can learn a lot from um, workouts about our mental patterns and how it show up in other areas in our life. So that was... a a huge break for me.
0: When you talk about the first one about the fear, I mean, you hear a lot of professional athletes that say every time they go into a big match or a fight or a game that they have those butterflies still. And once they feel like the, the butterflies are gone, that's when they know they're probably not ready for for the game anymore, the match. And so I think that's a little correlation. There's I mean If you start getting too relaxed in what you're doing, it means that you're not allowing yourself to grow to the next level, to get to that next level.
1: And I think for for many of us, you know, there is that mountain peak that we say, um, you know, when I speak to a group of people, that's when I will feel fulfilled. And then you go and you speak to 15 people and you say, "Mm, okay, now I want to speak to 100 people. Oh, (laughs) so there is every you realize that there is not really just one peak you climb. But there are lots of different stops along the way that, and by the way, I believe to be a business owner, that's the, um, you are in awareness and mindfulness work all the time because every time there is a new fear, every time you think you get there and then there is a new fear and a new fear and something else or a challenge, it doesn't have to be a fear. but a challenge you need to um, address, and it's not comfortable. Many times you don't feel comfortable. Um, I also have to add that many times when I speak with clients, they tear, and, you know, butterflies, tears. Uh, for me, it just means that that you really care about something. Um, uh, so that just in addition to what you said.
0: And going off of the idea that you have the 15 to the hundred there's always going to be that next hurdle that you're kind of coming through, coming up to. And I think the tough part about it with most yeah. um, I mean, business owners, especially in this like social media um, world that we live in is that, okay, I had uh, 50 people I was in front of. Oh, but I just saw on social media, one of my peers had a hundred people. Okay. I'm not going to celebrate this win right here. of 50 people. I'm going to celebrate like 100. Yeah. And then you're on social media and you see someone has 200. You're like, Oh my God, I'm not going to celebrate this hundred. I'm going to wait till I get to 200. And so it's, Celebrate.
1: Yeah, it, this is this is just an amazing point, what you're saying right now. And I didn't know how to celebrate um, to going back, you know, if you want to go back to therapy, I believe many of us don't, don't don't know to celebrate, you know, someone will come and say, you did a really good job. And it's like, no, it wasn't me. It was my team. You did a really good job. Ah, It was nothing. It took me two moments to do. Oh, you did a really good, you know, it's, you never celebrate. And there was a week in my life very early when I started the coaching that a few different people told me, can you just celebrate um, and it was, you know, I, I believe in signs from the universe, so you can keep fighting everyone, but there is that moment that the sign come to you and you need to listen, or at least there is an invitation for you to listen. And I believe it's such an important thing to take a moment and celebrate big and small wins um, and, and take, because if you don't learn to do that, you never feel fulfilled, you never feel happy uh, and I was so miserable for so many years uh, and made sure everyone around me is miserable with me. So now I learned to take those little moments and stop and, and just celebrate or embrace or say gratitude, you know, just be grateful. You know, if I can go outside and and run in nature and when other people cannot do that, that's a moment for me to appreciate. Um and it's truly helpful with how you see your life and, and then what results you see in your life and how you also create relationships with people from a new way.
0: Well, and then, well, and then going back to the, the other idea of talking about the running, I thought that was pretty powerful. I'm, I'm using mm-hmm. another kind of a analogy is comparing it to the idea of when you're, when you're hitting a board, right? Have you ever seen those for like Tony Robbins, that kind of thing? You don't picture the idea of hitting the board, you picture it hitting behind the board. And so when you have the idea of, okay, here's where I need to stop, in your head, you're stopping too early, and you need to. Have to so there's, there's like same idea with a lot of things. And if you look at basically the basics of a lot of things, you'll see that there's uh, similarities between other other platforms.
1: Uh, yeah, it's it's true. Like nothing to add. <laughs> Just <laughs> right. <laughs> this time I'm gonna be quiet, as people sometimes tell me to do.
0: <laughs> that was something I got told a lot when I was younger. I was told you have two ears and you have one mouth use accordingly. (laughs) Yes. Um, So if you could look back at that, that woman that was in the military in Israel compared to who you are now, what kind of advice would you give to that person? Any kind of advice or. I
1: I think we talked about it before. I'm, I'm not sure to the, I think that, that Noah in the military felt freedom. I know it's weird, right? Because I was in the army Um, but I I was so free, and today I know that freedom is a value. It's one of my core values. I I will never be able to work for someone who is, you know, blowing on my neck, although I'm a control freak, but I need a lot of freedom, a lot of freedom. So she was free spirit, definitely. But I I think one of the moments, if it's okay to tweak your question a bit, um, a few years ago... um, my son celebrated an important moment in the uh, we, um in the in in our tradition, which is the bar mitzvah when you move from being it's when the boys thirteen they move from and now girls too they move from um childhood to adulthood so uh some of our mem- family members came to celebrate with us and some of them came from Israel. And there is always that celebration and bitterness, you know, when the family goes back, uh, we don't have other family here. We are here uh, on our own, the core family. I have three kids. Um, and then my older son um, asked me, Mom, uh, we had a conversation about living far from the family, and he said, Mom, if you as your future self can go back to the NOAA that needs to make the decision if to move to the U.S., or stay in Israel? What would you say to her? So that was a very important moment because my son can be as bright as he is. He can be very dumb as a teenager. He's now 17. And if you have a 17 years old boy, you know, girls, you know what I'm talking about. So that was the moment like, are you my son? Is that really you or someone took over your soul right now? Um, And it took me a moment to answer that question because of the story I shared with you. It wasn't easy. It wasn't like it was roses and and pink clouds. I went through a lot of messiness. Um, But with that, I would never be able to do what I do with you right now. Um, and have this kind of conversation, I would not be able to become a community leader that impacted so many people in our community and step into a new way of leading, not just in corporate, but leading also in volunteering setting where you see how you can lead people from passion. And I wouldn't work with so many leaders and impact their leadership and what they do and how they show up. So... With all that, I told him, you know, I can't believe I'm going to answer that to you. But I would tell her to go through the relocation experience and, and take that and do that. And it will be hard, but she will learn a lot and she will be a different person. And I think the main thing that changed me is to be compassionate to the different. Um, I didn't understand what it meant. I was a cookie cutter in Israel um privileged you know being a daughter to a uh, an army officer in israel, so you're privileged I, I never thought about that, and it brought a lot of compassion to to the different and what does it mean to be a dif- uh, to be different and live different every moment and it's also something its it became a value for me how I raise my kids and how important it is.
0: What, what do you mean by, by privilege? What is, what, is, what is the difference between an officer's daughter compared to maybe someone that...
1: Israel Israel is a um, melting pot, like the U.S. There are a lot of different people from different countries. Um, and if you were born Israeli, you know, it's kind of like here. If you were born and you speak the language, so you are the lucky one. But if you move to Israel uh, in the 80s, or in the 90s, or in the 70s, and Hebrew is not your first language, you are expected to be a cookie cutter. You are expected to be like everyone else. And if you are not, it's it's not as welcomed. And, um, And that's something that I didn't need to think about. And as I mentioned earlier, that was my forte, speaking fluently in my language, having a high vocabulary, feeling comfortable about that, um, knowing that, um, um, you, you know, life, my path, even if I will have challenges, I'm, I'm able to figure it out. There was never that non-affirmation that I will not be able to, to get things done the way I want them. And suddenly I realized, what does it mean when you have those obstacles? And what does it mean when someone hears your accent? And what is the, the reaction? And I could could. Could understand that in a way that I never was able to understand before um, and I look like everyone else right so in a way um, so um, it was very uh, life-changing experience for me that brought a lot of compassion uh, to see the world differently
0: how does your, your son react to the trips back to uh, Israel I mean because he I'm, su- I'm assuming he knows about basically living in the United States and he only gets to see a glimpse of living in Israel. Do you think he idolizes that kind of uh, way of living or how do you think he perceives it?
1: Um that's a very interesting question. So we we do have family in Israel so we go every two two three years to visit there um you know there is what um there is what they call the um third gen the third culture generation so um third third culture kids so those are the kids that grow to parents that went through relocation or move many times and they see the world as a village. Um, they do not have identity with one place. So my kids' and their identity is not with Israel. My kids' and their identity is being a global citizen. And um, I think especially with the Z, uh, the Zoomers, my, the, my kids love to call me a boomer, but the Zoomers really, they don't see color as we see. I see at least that's where I uh, I adore them. Uh, and I, I hope I did something uh, good with the way I raised them is that they don't see color or religion or all the things that we grew up to see and pay attention to. And um They just choose a person because they enjoy being with them. And I I adore that about their generation. And I hope uh, we did something good with raising them, with the way we raised them. So uh, I see my kids want to live anywhere around the world and experience the world. And um, there is something um, interesting about that because they don't really know where are their roots, right? There is no one place where you call home and home is a big word for me because there is no word for that in Hebrew. There is a house, uh, but you use that object to also describe home. So it, made, it, it was really meaningful for me when I moved here to say, where is home for me and what is home for me? So I think my kids don't have that. And that's something that as a mother is interesting for me to see. Not, not, not 100% sure it's easy for them to live with that challenge. Um, so, yeah.
0: Going back to, to your coaching, where do you see your uh, platform going, your company going? So, if we're talking in a year, two years, what do you think?
1: Um, so, so my, my real focus is if I can help as many social leaders, I call them social leaders. So, there are two things I focus r- on right now one is speaking or coaching around the idea of uh, conscious leadership. I believe that there is a lot of focus on doing business and doing leadership, and we are missing the the being part. Um, I'm not saying it's bad, bad to be doer. I'm just saying we need to pay attention and bring those two energies together and work from them together. So that's where I'm trying to to come and create that conversation and bring that attention into um, business conversation and into Um, leadership conversation and I can give it in two seconds. If you have a person that triggers you, you don't need to be with them in the same room. It's enough for you to see their name in your mailbox and you're triggered like that. So we don't sometimes even need to see people to to react to them. And that's kind of like that creating the awareness of how we work and how we, we can be more conscious of how we show up in situations and relationships. So, from that of the conscious um, conversation that I like to create with my clients, I also created a walking mastermind, and I trademarked that during the, right now the COVID-19. And that's a place for me to bring business leaders to network in, in the outdoors, So we always meet next to a coffee shop or something. We grab the coffee and then we go um, on a mastermind conversation on a specific topic. And then I split them and they walk enough conversation. What I love about it, first, that I created something that is a system. There is a system to the networking. People don't like to network, but now they have a system for that. And two, that I love that people just disconnect from being indoors. They go outside to nature and they get a new perspective, um, we become very creative outdoors. So I find it something that uh, we, we unfortunately don't do enough, and I would like to bring that um, into um, people's attention. So that's what I'm doing, and people really love it. Uh, they really, really love those masterminds outdoors. So that's, that's kind of like a new uh, baby of mine that I really, really love.
0: So, if someone's listening right now, they're looking to, to partake in one of these masterminds. What's the best mm-hmm. way of them kind of following you, reaching out to you? What's the best way?
1: Um, on my website, probably, or social media. Um, my website is my first name and last name. So it's Noah, no H N O A, Ronen, R O N E N coaching, no Ronen coaching.com, or just on social media, Noah R Coach so it's everywhere all, all social media is the same and you can also look for my book if you want to read more about my ideas on amazon um beyond leadership from awareness to awareness um yeah
0: well thank you noah for for being on the road to growth podcast thank you listeners uh, hopefully you got some great information from noah uh please subscribe please share please reach out to noah <laughs> if, you, if you want some of her her great coaching thanks again noah